Easter. Is it just another religious holiday? Or maybe a, a nice story we get to hear once a year that encourages us to be nice people? No, it's so much more than that. The true story of Easter shows us that we are invited to experience much more in our lives. So let's talk about it together. If you're celebrating Easter this year, then you are part of a tradition. You're part of a celebration that's been going on for the last 2,000 years. Celebrating the event that changed the world. The event that inspired, honestly, the first hospitals, the first orphanages, even the first abolitionists. The event that gave rise to the idea that every human, no matter what race, gender, background, is worthy of respect and love. And that idea can seem so big. It almost makes the story of Easter this abstract, out there idea where it's, it's hard to see how it has anything to do with us, personally. And so it's easy just to, you know, kind of just not think about it too much and just do the traditions, right? The fun traditions of eggs and, and baskets. And maybe if it's your background, you go to church and you read the Jesus story and you sing some songs. And then we move on and go back to our normal lives and our normal frustrations and hurts and fears and worries and discontentment. But Easter was a real historical event that real people experienced and lived through. And it not only changed the world as we know it, it has changed millions of individual people for the last 2,000 years. And if we let it, the true story of Easter can change our lives now. Let me show you by looking at the event through the eyes of the first person who personally experienced it. The first person to have their life changed forever because of Easter. See, in the first century Middle East, a Jewish peasant named Yeshua, or Jesus, claimed not only to be the king of Israel, but also to be God on earth. He said he was bringing God's kingdom to earth. And he said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And he said, I, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then he was executed by the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans on a cross. And so, for the people living then, seeing this, they, they thought, well, this, he must not have been who he said he was. He must not have been what he said he was. Obviously, he was wrong because he's dead. It's all over. When Jesus died, everyone expected him to stay dead, just like every other human has from the beginning of time. And so, when Jesus died, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, wrapped Jesus' body in strips of linen and 75 pounds of spices and, and ointment, which was the tradition at the time. And they placed Jesus' dead body in the tomb in a garden. And they rolled a stone in front of that tomb, probably to prevent animals and whatnot from getting at the body. And the eyewitness accounts of Mark and Matthew tell us that two of Jesus' followers, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, watch all of this take place. Now, side note, I said eyewitnesses, but have you ever read the biographies of Jesus' life and ever wondered, why are there so many Marys? In fact, there are like three Marys at the cross while Jesus was being executed. Well, historical documents of the time and inscriptions show us that Mary was the most common female name in that area at the time. So if what we have are really eyewitness accounts, then it would make sense that a lot of the women would be named Mary. So on the morning of the third day, Mary Magdalene went with the other women to finish the job of taking care of Jesus' body. And they get to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away. And Mary Magdalene runs and tells Jesus' disciples that someone has taken Jesus' body. And so Peter and John, his disciples, run to the tomb, and they see that it's empty. And they see the strips of linen lying there that Jesus was wrapped in. 
And John says at that moment, he believed that Jesus was risen, but it still seems like he was too dazed to really talk about it. And so Peter and John kind of walk away with their heads swirling, but Mary stays. So put yourself in her sandals. Jesus had completely changed her life. In fact, Luke, his account of Jesus' life, says that Jesus had healed Mary from demon possession. And so he had given her dignity. He'd given her a new identity, maybe for the first time ever. And now the person she has based her life on for the last three years or so has been completely and violently and gruesomely and traumatically ripped away from her. And the one thing she wanted to do to help with her closure, help with her grieving, was preparing Jesus' body. And now that's been taken away from her. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Like, she seems to be in complete shock, doesn't she? Like, it's not like a normal reaction would be, oh my gosh, there's angels talking to me. No, she's just, she's almost numb and can't react to and, and even be surprised by anything. She can't take in what's actually happening around her. She's just so, like, matter of fact, the angels ask her, why are you crying? And she says, well, random angels, I'm crying because I don't know where Jesus' body is. See, what life has done to us can numb us to what God is doing for us. But someone has something better in mind for her. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Like, why doesn't... Why doesn't she recognize him? She's known him for three years. Well, maybe she's overwhelmed with grief and isn't really like paying attention. Maybe her just eyes are filled with tears. She can't see that well. Or the, the sun's in her eyes because it's early morning. But I think the main reason was she wasn't expecting to see him. We often don't recognize Jesus in our lives because we aren't expecting to see Jesus in our lives. And then Jesus does what Jesus always does. He asks some questions. And I picture him asking these questions with like a, a twinkle in his eye and maybe a little grin to himself, thinking like, this is going to be so good. She's going to be so happy when she realizes who she's talking to. Like, I can't wait to take that pain of hers away. I can't wait to show her who I really am and the life she can have now. And he knew, he asked these questions, but he knew the answer because his questions are never for him. They're always for us. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. So Jesus asks Mary, why are you crying? And she thinks it's just someone wondering, like, what's going on? But the question probably was more like, why are you crying right now? Like, why is your heart so heavy? Why are you feeling so lost? I'm here. I told you what would happen. I'm here. There's nothing to cry about. And then he asks, who are you actually looking for? Are you looking for a dead rabbi? Are you looking for the one you thought would overthrow the Roman Empire? Maybe you need to look again, because I'm so much more. There's something and someone so much better here for you, right in front of you. But she still doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she says, gardener, did, did they have you like move his body somewhere? Just tell me where he is, and I'll take care of it. I mean, look at the devotion and the determination she has. Nothing is going to stop her from honoring her rabbi, her teacher, her lord, her friend. But she didn't need to go find him. He had already come and found her. 
See, Jesus is always pursuing us. And the next verse we read is really, I think, one of the most beautiful passages in the history of literature. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which in Hebrew means teacher. He says her name, Mary. Like she's, she's struggling and crying. Where is he? Show me where he is. I'll take care of it. He just says, Mary. How does she recognize him then? Was it the tone he used? Maybe the tenderness in his voice? The switch he used from general woman to her personal name? Maybe it was the laughter with which he said it. Probably all of that, right? And she cries out, teacher, the name she had always called him. And so like, imagine her surprise and her joy and her elation, even like giddiness. Death had separated them. She thought it was completely over. She had mentally and emotionally prepared herself to be dealing with Jesus' dead body that morning. And now, here he is, personally seeking her out. And they are restored. Think about it. Jesus could have made his first resurrection appearance in a cloud of fire at the temple in Jerusalem. And instead, he chooses this moment with Mary. See, instead, Jesus specifically and personally sought her out to be the first one to see him. Jesus' first priority is personal relationship. And it says Mary clings to him. And who knows how long Jesus hugs her there and proves that he's really alive and not just some vision or a ghost or just a spiritual form, but he's physically raised from the dead. And after the perfect amount of time that Mary needed, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He says, don't cling to me. Meaning like, look, I, I, yes, I, <laughs> I want to I wanna hold you here and show you I'm real, but we can't stay like this forever. You, you don't keep this good news to yourself. I need you to share it. I need you to tell the others. I need you to go and share this joy. And so he sends her to the other disciples to tell them what, what we call the gospel, the good news that Jesus has conquered death. He personally sought out Mary, personally sent her to be the first to proclaim this amazing news. It's why she's so often called the apostle to the apostles or the first apostle. In fact, this is one of the many historical and cultural and literary proofs that this isn't just some made-up story or legend. See, in that patriarchal society at the time, that culture, a woman's testimony really wasn't considered that trustworthy, especially if it was just a single woman. And so if a male Jewish writer was trying to create a story to convince others that the impossible had happened, that someone had predicted their death and resurrection, then actually died and came back to life, there's no way they would add a woman as the first witness and the first one to tell others that Jesus had risen. But John, writing this, had to be honest what actually happened. So Jesus sends Mary to the disciples to tell them the good news. And what does he call them? Say, hey, Go tell those cowards who ran away when I was arrested that I'm alive now. They're going to get it. Or, hey, you know those boys who've been hiding ever since I was executed? Go tell them they're about to get in trouble. He says, go and tell my brothers. Not the cowards, not my servants, not even not my students, not even my followers or my disciples. My brothers. Jesus didn't rise from the dead to condemn us as sinners, but to restore us as family. He says, go and tell my brothers, inviting her and them to the new family he was creating. Not just to experience Jesus' resurrection as some personal thing, but to experience and live a new life together. 
Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Mary was a single woman, completely unseen in her culture. She's insignificant. She had the most common name at the time. She was completely lost and overwhelmed. And Jesus chose to show himself to her first. When she didn't recognize him, when she didn't understand what was going on, when she didn't believe his former promises to rise from the dead, Jesus was patient and kind with her. She thought her life was over. There's nothing to live for now that Jesus is dead. But Jesus sought her out, gave her a larger purpose than she could have imagined. He chose her to be the first to tell what had happened and to start in motion a family and the community of new life that has been growing for the last 2,000 years. Jesus said he would die and rise again. And then he did. And he was seen first by Mary and then the other disciples. And then for 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to over 500 of his followers, including his brother James, who became a leader of his big brother's first church. Like, what would it take for you to lead a community of people based on worshiping your older brother? Probably seeing him come back from the dead, right? So Jesus talked with and ate with them. He restored them to the relationship he had with them. And Jesus promised to give new and eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. Everyone and anyone who pledges their allegiance to him as their king. He invites everyone to give up trying to live on their own and, and control their own lives and, and trying to have the universe somehow revolve around them. He invites everyone to enjoy the full life of living for the king of love and peace. And we can trust him, not because this is some nice story, but because it's a, a historical eyewitness testimony. The same Jesus that sought out Mary is the same Jesus that is seeking you out. The same Jesus who was patient and kind to Mary is patient and kind to you. The same Jesus who renewed Mary's life, gave her true meaning and purpose, is the same Jesus who wants to renew your life and give you true meaning and purpose. The same Jesus who spoke Mary's name is gently and knowingly speaking your name. Whoever you are, wherever you are from, whatever you have or haven't done, Jesus is alive and he is personally seeking you out. He knows you. He knows everything about you and he accepts you, and he likes you, and he loves you, and he wants you to know him, he is calling your name. He is inviting you to a new life and a real relationship of love and mercy and forgiveness and purpose with your heavenly Father. And all you have to do is accept the invitation. Accept a new identity as a child of God, a member of the new family Jesus created with his life, death, and resurrection. And it starts saying yes. Today could be the day you take your first step into this new eternal life that Easter has represented for the last 2,000 years. If you want to say yes to his offer, take some time, pause, think about it. But if you want to say yes to his offer, you can tell him with something similar to this. You say, yes, Jesus, I accept your invitation. I pledge my allegiance to you. Forgive me. Make me new. Make me yours. Thank you for the new and eternal life you have promised me by conquering death for me. God loves us so much that he came to earth, lived, died, and rose again for us. For you. You are known. You are loved. You are pursued by your Creator and your Heavenly Father. See, the celebration of Easter isn't that this is, you know, just uh, one special day a year. It's that this is a celebration of the new life 
we can live today and every day forever. A life we don't just keep to ourselves, but share with those Jesus is also pursuing. Jesus invites all of us to discover, enjoy, and share true, full life together. Easter proves that God personally sees you and loves you. Thank you for watching or listening to this content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We're a church in Salem, we are for Salem, and we meet regularly on Sundays at 4.30 p.m. Our only exception is on Easter. We'll be meeting on Easter Eve at 4.30 p.m. That's a Saturday, April 8th. We'll be followed by a potluck and an Easter egg hunt. Feel free to just come as you are and enjoy the community and the music and we'll take communion together, but really you can just take part in whatever you're comfortable with. Thanks again for commenting, sending us your emails, uh, interacting with us online, and we look forward to seeing you also in person. Have a great week. Well, thank you. Thanks for liking it. Like, like and subscribe. <laughs> Hit that bell. Ding, ding.